The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf. It's the middle of the week, so it's time for... Um, uh, the great mothership of all of our podcasts, the one that started it all. And with us today are three of the folks that started it all. <laughs> with Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. How are you doing, Rosa? I'm good. Thanks, David. Um, and Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Hi, Ed. How are you? Very good. Never been better. Thank you. And Corey Shockey, apparently coming to us from an armored vehicle someplace. Where, 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 where are you and how are you? Corey? I am in the parking lot of the Sonoma Country Club and Golf Course, where I am preparing to talk to my dad's Rotary Club over lunch. My parents will not permit me to come home to Sonoma, California, unless I talk to my dad's Rotary Club. You are the best daughter. I, you're just, you're uh, terrific. And I've never spoken to a Rotary Club. Does that pose any particular challenges for you? They are small business people who care about community domestically and internationally. So they're great. Um, well, that's great. That's great. Well, good luck with that. But don't go away for about a half hour as we continue this podcast. Rosa, um there are a lot of stories in the newspaper today about things getting a little bit more complicated for President Biden with regard to his stance in uh, Israel, although some recent polls have shown that the majority of Democrats support him. On the Hill, there are stories of Democrats who want to propose more kinds of conditions onto U.S. aid to Israel, and there's a big vote coming up on aid to Israel, Ukraine, etc. Once we dispense with George Santos tomorrow. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, we'll George it, Santos, please. Yeah, right. We, are, we will send them... Dire- we're sending George Santos directly to Hamas. But um, uh, uh, he, there's also, a, you know, an article that talked about divisions within the White House. Did Biden hold um, Israel too close was he too trusting of Bibi Netanyahu and so forth? How do you think it's going so far, 50-odd days in? Well, the answer to the question was 
was person X too trusting of Bibi Netanyahu is always going to be yes. Uh, it doesn't really matter correct. who we're talking about. That is the correct so, answer. No Ten question. points. To ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Biden is in a bind, both uh, not only within the Democratic Party, um, do we see increasing numbers of uh, voters, um, particularly younger voters, uh, who are really expressing a lot of unhappiness about the civilian toll in amongst Palestinians, um, and saying, wait, okay, is this worth the price of supporting Israel? He's not only facing that from just within the party broadly, he's facing it from within his own administration. And the recent story suggests that uh, uh, people within the White House staff have been talking to senior leaders at the NSC and saying, we're really unhappy about this. So he's, he's under a lot of pressure, obviously, um, internally and externally, uh, to try to put more pressure on Israel. Uh, to make sure that they are sparing civilians in their fight against Hamas. Um, I think he's in a bind. I, I think he is not willing to, and frankly, doesn't have the political support from, from other Democrats and from the Republican Party to make any real changes to the kind of aid we're giving to Israel. You know, there's some possibility that Congress will, will eventually decide to attach some sort of requirement that Israel comply with international humanitarian law and human rights rules, which which actually should not be controversial, right? I mean, this is something that, in fact, we generally uh, demand of everybody to whom we give military assistance, but uh, Israel being Israel and this being such a, you know, highly, insanely politicized issue, it is weirdly controversial, and I don't know if we'll have the votes to go through, but but yeah, no, Biden's kind of in a, Biden is in a pickle. Uh, and it's partly a pickle of his own making, although primarily a pickle of Hamas and Netanyahu's making. Yeah, no question about that. Um, uh, Corey, uh, Rosa makes uh, indirect reference to a comment that President Biden made in which he said, we thought about giving, uh, putting conditions on the aid to Israel, but then we didn't. The comment was perfectly uh, calibrated to irritate everybody. <laughs> there were the people <laughs> who feel we should never... That is a skill that Biden sometimes. Has. Yeah, no, no, it's a real, it's a real, it's a real gift. It's called the double gap. You can't really do that unless you're special. <laughs> yeah, kind of it, politician. that takes advanced training. Amateurs yeah, no, can't it really do does. It. No, well, he's been around for fifty years. That's the advantage of having an older yeah, president. No question about that. Um, you know, I listened to it because I'm, you know, like a lefty, and I thought. Well, of course, there should be conditions. There should always be conditions on um, uh, U.S. aid to, to to anybody. Um, but you're not. You're no lefty. You're much more sensible. How how did you react? I have the exact same reaction you do, David. That that American assist. It is entirely fair for the American people to impose conditions on assistance to others because we are going to be implicated. Um, by their choices because of our assistance. And so I don't think the question is, should conditions be applied? The question for me is what the conditions should be. So for example, I think we've done a terrible disservice to Ukraine with the conditions we have put on the significant amounts of aid we have given Ukraine. That is, they cannot target Russian territory with longer range and precise weapons. I think that's doing a terrible disservice to Ukraine. That we put no conditions on any assistance to Israel seems to me a difficulty given 
15,000 Palestinian deaths in the course of the eight weeks of the month, excuse me, eight weeks of operations. That That's a very high tally and is going to, you know, the United States is going to be associated with it. I think I agree with Rosa that the president um, believed he that with his um, ardent embrace of Israelis after the terrible attack by Hamas, that that would gain leverage over um, the Netanyahu government's choices. And I don't think that's proven true. The president in his, in his good uh, Washington Post essay on the wars in Ukraine and Israel from a, several days ago tried to argue that you know, he's actually had enormous leverage, that we have uh, had pauses, that we have had aid getting through. And again, I have the same reaction Rosa does. Uh, that strikes me as something that should not be a controversial condition. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we agree on that. Um, uh, uh, Ed, as you look at this, we do see this total of uh, 15,000 being uh, passed. That's from the uh, health service in Gaza, which is run by Hamas, but it's generally thought to be kind of a ballpark uh, estimate. This has produced growing opposition to uh, what is seen as a U.S.-Israeli initiative in Gaza around the world. Do uh, you think it's fair to cast this as a U.S.-Israeli initiative? Um, I don't know whether it's, you know, 100% fair. I think it's 90% fair, but I think it's just the reality. It's never going to be seen as anything else, even if fairly stringent conditions, which I don't think is going to happen, but even if fairly con- stringent conditions were imposed on Israeli uh, military aid. Of course, as a lefty, you wouldn't just want conditions, David. You'd want, you'd want that aid taxed, regulated, you would want uh, you would want all kinds of other things done to it. <laughs> I don't know what. Thanks, thanks. I don't know what child care provisions. Child nice, care that's provision. a nice idea. <laughs> that's um, the. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the precise military conditions ought to be. I do know that you know it's understandable that Israel wants replenished components for the Iron Dome, which is defensive. But two thousand pound bombs. You know what? What what's going to happen with them? When, when this is supposed to be a very sort of pinprick operation to identify and and take out Hamas leadership and as many of the ranks as possible. Two thousand pound bombs when they're nestled in, you know, a couple of million people doesn't strike me as having an obvious use that wouldn't really deeply cost. Uh, Israel, uh, Gazan citizens and therefore America's reputation even more. But the condition I would um, uh, want to impose if I were Biden would be the political condition of having an explicit link to a two-state process, um, which of course is impossible with Netanyahu as prime minister. Um, I mean, it's inconceivable. So that condition can never be imposed on aid that you get rid of your prime minister. Uh, it would be a popular one in Israel, though. I mean, the opinion polls on, on Netanyahu, that's all the latest one. Um, only 4% of Israelis trust him to lead this war. 4% is kind of a rounding error. 
Yeah, um, the guy low, that's lower than the approval of the U.S. Congress. It's it's even lower than yeah. It's it's fewer than your blood re- relatives and staffers. Um, uh, so uh, the problem with where this is going is, of course, we want hostages released and we want all of them released. But in exchange for those hostages being released, Palestinian prisoners are being released, and a lot of them are going back to the West Bank, and they are considered to be. Um, the gain to the, the, the victory of, of Hamas. And this is costing Abu Mazen. It's costing Fatah. It's costing the peace, peaceful Palestinian, um, sort of factions, the nonviolent factions that accept Israel's right to exist. It is boosting Hamas. And so they have an incentive to prolong this pause and, and continue this hostage exchange with Palestinian prisoners because they are benefiting. So I don't know what to suggest in this situation. I really don't. I I would be fascinated to hear your ideas because um, I want to pause. I want hostages released. I do not want to see Hamas take up what relatively little space is remaining to nonviolent Palestinian voices. Um, well, you filibustered Rosa right out of here. I was impressed <laughs> I'm by sorry. That. No, no, no. Just... It's not intentional. No, I know. And she had told us... She had to leave, and we started with some technical difficulties, and I'm sure she was delighted to be able to hear most of your answer. Uh, but let me go to you, Corey, with the question I was going to ask her, because you know there are a lot of issues circulating about this, and I want to come in a moment to the question that uh, Ed has posed. But first, shouldn't the Biden administration be getting some credit? And, and by the way, I have a column that's coming out tonight um, uh, uh, the day we're recording this is Wednesday, so uh, overnight to Thursday, um, uh, in the Daily Beast, in which I argue, I, I think Biden over embraced Israel with too few conditions, has gotten him into this kind of pickle now. But having said that, by over embracing Israel, he's now very popular within Israel. He has a lot of political leverage, and the U.S. administration has used that leverage to some benefit. If it had not been for the U.S. administration, there probably would not have been these hostage negotiations. Uh, The administration has pushed harder than the Israelis would have for humanitarian aid getting into Gaza. Um, And the administration has been increasingly overt in saying, more targeted, learn our lessons from Iraq, Uh, let's try to be better about uh, civilian casualties. Uh, And so, um, you know, arguably, they have saved some lives. Um, they're not getting a lot of credit for that, should they, Corey? So, um, if I may be pedantic, um, as you guys know me to be, I I want to. I don't think actually the United States has much leverage over Israel, and I actually am surprised the Biden administration thought they would. I agree with you that that the administration's efforts probably saved Palestinian lives. But I actually think the hostage negotiations would have gone on with or without us because um, the Israelis have an obvious interest in having a mediator like Qatar to negotiate with Hamas to try and get hostages back. So I think the hostage negotiations would have gone on anyway. And I'm a little bit surprised that the administration believed it would have 
extensive influence over Israel because I struggle to think of any administration that's had a particular amount of influence over Israel, especially when using positive incentives. I mean, the only time I can think of that that the United States really had an influence on Israeli choices was when the George H.W. Bush administration uh, cut aid over settlement building. Um, so, so I don't think they have much leverage. I don't think they should have anticipated they would have much leverage. But I agree what leverage they have had, they have used in in generous ways towards Palestinians and in an effort to help Israel understand that they are losing the information war over their response to the attacks. Um, thoughtful, thoughtful advice. Uh, they're losing the information war. Maybe the Biden administration is losing the information war. Do you think they are, Ed? Are they not getting the credit they deserve for what they have done? I mean, you know, from the very beginning, behind the scenes, you've had Tony Blinken there arguing the humanitarian side of this. You have Bill Burns there working very hard as a kind of uh, third secretary, second or third secretary of state, um, you know, in, in addition to Blinken and, and National Security Advisor um, uh, Jake Sullivan. Um, you have military advisors who are there who are coming out and saying, look, do this a different way. Uh, should they get credit for that? Ed? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not surprised they're not getting credit for it um, because I think what's gone on is, you know, I mean, 15,000 deaths in six weeks is horrific. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there's a share of, what, 2.2 million people. Uh, that's something like 2 million Americans dead or half a million British dead. I mean, and that's just an extraordinary ratio um, in an extraordinarily short period of time that um, it indicates that any influence Biden's tried to, um, over and above getting aid in and humanitarian conditions, that any influence he's tried to um, exercise of restraint and, and more careful targeting um, and more precautionary um, strikes has not worked. I mean, you just, you just cannot square it with 15,000 civilians dead. Um, I mean, even if a thousand of those are Hamas fighters, um, that's still 14,000 civilians dead. And I don't know how you can square the day after plan with that ratio of death. Uh, I just don't know how you begin again after that. So, I mean, of course, it's any help, any aid that gets through, um, uh, you know, any, anything they can do, um, is a good thing, but I, 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 I can't see that anybody should be getting credit in these circumstances. Um, and I agree with Corey, you need, you need sticks as well as carrots. And the H.W. Bush administration um, used those. To some degree, the Carter administration did too. I mean, there are two, there are two American administrations that have managed to twist is, Israel's arms. For, in Israel's larger security interests, I should add, you know, not not to give up, not not to give up its security, but to actually enhance it. Um, though, and those two have both used uh, um, uh, sticks as well as carrots. I cannot see Biden doing that because it's just not Biden. Biden has a very sort of misty-eyed, deeply sort of felt um, 
uh, Israel as the sort of um, David and everyone else as the Goliath um, um, idea that's quite dated, and particularly for this okay, context. Now I, I've got to stop you there. That is exactly directly from my column, which comes out tomorrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I just... <laughs> Plagiarism! He's thrown the gauntlet! Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I just want everybody to know, I, I wrote the column long ago. It's edited and in there. Ed had nothing to do with it, even though he's channeling exactly what I wrote with the exact same words. <laughs> Extrasensory perception plagiarism. <laughs> well, there's been a mind meld. You know, Corey, it reminds me back in the olden days when we started doing this um, with a tin can and st- rolls of string and so forth. Um, and, uh, you know, we were all bound together um, besides uh, by our friendship and our love for foreign policy by a real sort of common desire to uh, critique Obama administration foreign policy because it was pretty feckless from top to bottom. Uh, you know, well-intentioned in some respects, but feckless in almost all. Now I start seeing articles saying the Obama team is criticizing the Biden team because the Obama team would have handled this so much better. And I just was wondering, sitting there in the parking lot of the Sonoma Elks Club or whatever it is, <laughs> Rotary Club, how, do the, how, do, how does that land with you? Very poorly. Um, I... I think Obama administration policy towards Israel and Palestine was deeply cynical. Um, And so the Obama administration has quite a number of times violated the norm of not criticizing future administrations. And President Obama personally has done that in ways that I think are actually not good for his own legacy and not good as an as a normative approach. They ought to just be quiet and let the Biden administration try and navigate an extraordinarily difficult set of circumstances that no American administration, except maybe the Clinton administration, has really distinguished itself on. Yeah, no, I think the Biden administration response, and in particular, I mean, the Obama response, and particularly that of President Obama for coming out and being a little critical of Biden is what I would call, but you wouldn't, Bush League. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know. Well played, David. Yeah. But having uh, said that, Ed, it, it, you know, we are where we are. And you did ask this question. Um uh, which is, you know, what should we be doing now? And I think that's really uh, where, in the last uh, four or five minutes we've got here, we should, we should, we should focus. Um, I had a conversation with somebody who's smart and who knows the region, and they said, "Look, you got to begin by reverse engineering this. The only way that you get to any kind of lasting peace is with some kind of Palestinian, you know, political entity." Uh, Hamas can't provide that. They have to be eliminated. The Palestinian Authority doesn't have the leaders right now. So the single most important thing you can do is cultivate new leaders for the Palestinian Authority, probably in conjunction with um, sort of the more forward-leaning Arab states in the region. And that you sort of have to start there and reverse engineer back. What do you think of that? 
I mean, I think it's 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 a very good idea. Again, I'll go back to Netanyahu is not going to be doing it. So let's just you know start with that premise. Netanyahu's entire entire political career. I mean, we're not just talking about since he um, you know his last sort of ten fifteen years of being prime minister, but his first phase in 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 the wake of um, Rabin's assassination, which he kind of sympathized with. I mean, he went very close to sympathizing with Rabin's killers. Um, over what? Over the Oslo Accords, over what the Bush senior administration have managed to accomplish. So his entire career has been to prevent the scenario where a two-state solution becomes viable, which means um, that he's been disproportionately tougher on, um, you know, uh, on Fatah and peaceful Palestinian protests than he has on Hamas. So, I mean, this is a, there's a grotesquerie uh, and, uh, uh, about this, which, which I hope will be, the culmination of his career here in these circumstances. Um, but to start from, you know, day one and, and from scratch, uh, from Benny Gantz or whoever it is who will eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, replace Bibi as prime minister, that has got to be, that has got to be the way to do it. Because Fatah, I mean, Abu Mazan is, you know, he's in his 80s. I doubt he would win, you know, an election to be dog catcher. Um, you know, let alone to, to represent, um, the West Bank again, the Palestinian Authority again. Um, uh, in theory, that sounds exactly what should be happening, but we need a, an Israeli government that would agree with that, um, objective. And we need, um, and we need time. We need, we need some, somebody to buy space and time to nurture, um, the Palestinian voices who can credibly represent their people. Um, it's a very difficult, it's kind of a generational project, this. Can yeah, I, no, um, no question. No, no, I'm not, you can all do more than add one thing, because I'm going to ask you the exact same question. But I'm going to stipulate, I'm going to make it a little easier for you. Let's just stipulate that Netanyahu is past his sell-by date, that if he were a cheese in your refrigerator, he'd be covered with green fur at this point. He'd be <laughs> trying to figure out what kind of implement you could use to get it from the refrigerator to the garbage pail. So he's done. Assume, Unless you're French. Pardon me? Unless you're French, in which case, it's a bonanza yeah. for you. No question. But but let's assume he's beyond us, Corey. What now? So it's a really hard question because somebody is going to have to police and govern Gaza. And, uh, you know, Israel... Uh, will probably not be a legitimate, it will be an occupying force if it's Israel. Um, the Palestinian Authority, as both you and Ed have said, probably doesn't have the leadership to do it and probably wouldn't be legitimate coming in to do it. I mean, I do think there is the problem of legitimacy for anybody who comes in because they're going to be seen as coming in as coming in on the back of an Israeli tank. The Turkish government might want to do it as a sort of neo-Ottoman uh, enterprise, but given their support for the Muslim Brotherhood and sometimes even Hamas, uh, they wouldn't be acceptable to Israelis. Uh, the countries of the Gulf, you know, Saudi Arabia wants to do Saudi 2035. They don't want to have to uh, deal with this. And most of the other states in the region don't either. I mean, I think that was the lesson of the Abraham Accords, that the the countries looking to the future 
are fed up with the Palestinian Authority and no longer prioritize Palestinian issues. The only, I think, bad solution, I can't think of a good solution, the only bad solution I can think of that might give some legitimacy and provide forces to police and by the time that I agree with Ed is necessary is if the Israelis were willing to pick up the 2002 Arab League peace plan, which might give a basis for countries in the region to help participate in the reconstruction and governance of Gaza and possibly also the West Bank. But that's going to be a very hard sell, not least because uh, what do you do about the Golan Heights Nobody wants this Syrian government to be, but, but I think those are potentially negotiable issues and it might buy Arab countries in the region into future participation. Yeah, no doubt. Although uh, one of the questions I know that the U.S. has been shopping around in the region is, do you want to help pay for rebuilding Gaza? <laughs> um, and the, the answer to that question, I think, has been thus far resounding, no. And so even with regard to that Arab League proposal, we do have to keep in mind that effectively half of Gaza isn't there anymore. And and that's going to rise. And the cost of that is tens of billions of dollars, if not more. And that's, uh, that's, that's something somebody's going to have to pick up too. So that is a challenge. It is a very difficult challenge, as you say. Uh, and it is therefore very dangerous to make predictions. However, I make one prediction that I am absolutely certain will be the case. And that is that when Corey goes into the Rotary Club in (laughs) Sonoma, in just a matter of moments, this will be one of the questions she has asked. (laughs) Um, I I won't take that wager because I am 100% certain you are correct. As usual, you are exactly right, David. Exactly right. And I think your answer, by the way, of saying, well, I think they should pick up the Arab League proposal, dot, dot, dot. No one knows what the Arab League proposal is. It's a perfect <laughs> response. I will say she's extremely knowledgeable. And you can... And then you've got a fullback if he does not... Yeah, I mean, just just, just, just ask them. Take a poll of Rotarians. So what do you think about the Arab League? So, I mean, I'm... I'm sure you guys are as conflicted as I am. Yeah, right. Let, let me let me have a show of hands here, Rotary Club. How many of you support the Arab League proposal? How many of you have a better proposal to offer? Exact. No. Exactly right. Well, Corey, I hope um, when you are next here with us, you will tell us that how that turned out for you. Um, I will. We will con- we will continue, I'm afraid, to talk about this story because it is not going away, as well as many others, because I think by next week, we're going to be well into the discussion about aid packages coming out of the U.S. government to Ukraine, as well as to um, uh, Israel and to others. And there are some really wacky ideas floating around about how to condition the aid to Ukraine, and um, and we need to talk about that. So. We will next week, and we'll talk about all sorts of other things in the interim on our uh, daily podcasts, our daily news podcasts, and our daily in-depth analysis podcasts of varying flavors, which you get if you follow us here. Uh, For now, you'll note that we didn't have a a break uh, 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 to to make a plea for membership. 
Um, uh, for that, we just ask that you consider, if you're not a member, to go to the DSRnetwork.com, click membership. $5 a month helps support this enterprise as we're, I don't know, going into, what is it? It's like seventh, eighth year of doing this. Um, uh, and we've actually been doing this together for many years longer. And as you could hear from talking to all of us, one of the reasons we want you to support it is we actually like each other and we like doing this. So please, please, please enable us to do it. It's therapeutic and it's fun. For now, thank you, Rosa, who is um, recently departed. Thank you, Corey. Good luck with the Rotary Club in Sonoma. Uh, thank you, Ed. Talk to you soon. Um, and thank you, everybody, for joining us. Bye-bye.